So this would be the last installment of a new series. A couple weeks ago, um, I started in on Psalms 84. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Psalms 84. And this series called New was birthed out of the idea that possibly we would be brave enough to, to dream in our own hearts. So maybe God would, would do something new in us. That God's always a God that's wanting to do something new. And, and, and maybe you're in a season right now where you would say, man, God's really working in my life, and that's awesome. Or maybe you're in a season where you'd be like, you know what? I don't even know if God knows my zip code right now. And we've all been in both. However, I would submit to you today that God is a God that is always desiring to do something new in our life. It's a transaction. It's a relationship. It's between us and God through what Jesus Christ did for us. And so that, that led me into, I was in the Keys about three weeks ago on a family vacation, and I was out doing my morning devotion, and I, I, was, I was praying after I'd read, and, and the Holy Spirit, God just kind of asked me this question, or he just dropped these two words in my heart, longing and driven. Longing and driven. And so I processed those words throughout the day, and, and as I was falling asleep that night, I was laying in bed, and, and I, the, the thought came to me. I was like, God was longing and driven. And, and here's what I heard. Jason, whatever you long for is what drives you. Think about that for a second. Whatever you long for is what's driving you. If you long for a relationship, you're driven towards that relationship. If you long to make money, you're driven to make money. If, you're long, if you long to be a great father, you're driven to be a great father. If you long to be a great mother, you're driven to be a great mother. Whatever you long for is, what, is what's driving you. In other words, it's a matter of the heart. So I, above all else, guard your heart. And so I began to think and doing some personal assessment in my own heart. God, God, what am I longing for? And and are my motives pure before you, God? And, and so, so as I did this very, sure enough, next morning, very next, right in the line. That's why I think it's important to have a daily reading in your Bible because, you know, God will, he'll show up with whatever he's trying to speak to you because he knows that your devotion is X, Y, Z the next day. That ever happened to anybody in here? It's, it's on purpose, all right? It's on purpose because you're being on purpose about reading your Bible and your reading plan. So here I, I open up and I'm reading the Bible through in a year and every day you read some of the Psalms or entire, there it is, Psalms 84. Psalms 84, and it begins to speak of David. Uh, we don't know who the author is. It points to David because of, of the sincerity and, and the DNA of the Psalm. So the psalmist is talking about longing for the presence of God. And so let's read it together. Psalms 84, it's only 12 verses. Mark this down in your Bible. It's a great, great psalm to study. Verse 1, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So that's where we left off. We, we made it through verse 7. So if you didn't get to hear that message, it's installment one of this longing, just two-part series in in the series of new. So that's two weeks ago. Listen to that. So we'll pick it up in verse 8. 
O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he, will he, will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you that it, it's living and it's active. And I pray that it would come alive in our hearts tonight. God, I pray that I would do a good job as your servant tonight in relaying how important it is for us to have a longing for your presence, to long to be close to you. God, as, as we're, the closer we get to you, God, the more we become like you and the more this community will see you in us and will become your hands and your feet. We ask that you would just take this time and help us to be better for you so that we can impact and change the arena that you've placed us in, in this thing called life. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this psalm, we see moving from uh, uh, somewhat of worship style in the first seven verses into verse eight kicks off with a prayer. So if you're taking notes, let's get into this. Number one, a longing to realize my need for the greatness of God. A longing to realize my need for the greatness of God. Verse 8, we just read it. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Verse 9, we'll go ahead and read it, Joe. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Now go back. So we see the psalmist right here saying, hey, after going from strength to strength and and seeing you and meeting you face to face on Mount Zion, now we get to verse 8 and there's, oh Lord God of hosts, but let's focus right now. Hear my prayer, give ear. So after all of these ordinances, after all of this, these things that the psalmist is missing about the temple of God, which represents the presence of God in the New Testament, after he says all these things in the first seven verses, now he says, oh God, would you turn, turn your face towards me? Hear my prayer, God. It's very interesting. If you walk down through here, it says, Oh, Lord God of hosts. As I was studying over this message, I looked up, you know, I've grown up in church my whole life, and I don't think I've ever just stopped and, and researched what does Lord of hosts mean. And so I looked that up. I looked that up, Lord of hosts, which means Lord of everything, every breathing thing, every crawling thing, every walking thing, everything we see, test, touch, smell, everything that we know, all created things. So what, what the psalmist is saying, oh, Lord God of everything, oh, Lord God of the, the stars, oh, Lord God of the sun, oh, Lord God of the moon, oh, Lord God of the earth, oh, Lord God of the flowers, oh, Lord God of the little sparrows, oh, Lord God of everything. Are you getting this? This is important because the psalmist, he, this is not just a prayer of, oh, to a little bitty, inkly, winkly, tinkly God. You know, I heard somebody say the other day, I don't pray much because I like to save, save up my prayers for the ones that really count. God cares about them all. Short prayers work when you live close to the throne. That'll hit you about midnight. Oh, Lord God of hosts. So, so he's crying out, listen, give ear, listen to me. But he, he's expressing, oh, Lord God of everything. Oh, Lord God of my family. Oh, Lord God of my money. Oh, Lord God of all that I am and all that I have. That God, oh, you God, would you listen and give ear to my prayer? 
Then he goes on to say, Oh God of Jacob, why is that important? Because oh God of Jacob represents God being God of a covenant God, God, Abraham, a covenant with Abraham that leads to a covenant with Isaac, which leads to a covenant with Jacob, which you can follow all the way down the line until one day you catch up with Jesus, which leads to a covenant with humanity. Praise God. And so he's saying, not only, oh Lord God of everything, oh Lord God, the covenant God. We live in a contract society. We serve a covenant God. Co- contract. Contract says things like this. Contract says, Brian, you do what you're supposed to do, and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But the moment that you neglect to do what you said you would do, I'm released from doing what I said I would do. If you've ever heard me marry anyone, I use that. Because we live in a contract society. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant between man, woman, and God. But a contract says, you let me down, I can let you down. Thank God he is not a contract God. He is a covenant God. And that is what the psalmist is saying right here. Oh God of everything, and by the way, oh covenant God. Oh oh God of covenant with Abraham, of covenant with Isaac, and oh God of Jacob, that covenant God. That God, just because I'm imperfect, is not going to let me down on my imperfect days because he has made covenant with me. You think about that, then you work it into to verse 9, and you get to, oh God, behold our shield. And so you've got this idea of, of, of a God of everything, a covenant God, and then you've got God, our shield. In other words, our protection. And so he's saying, Lord, see, because the psalmist has been pushed away. He's been pushed away from the city of God. He's been pushed away from the temple, which represented the presence of God. He's been pushed away of his, his, his ability to go into the presence of God, into the temple courts. And he's remembering how great that is. And he's missing that feeling. There's something off. There's something missing inside of him. And what, what is he saying right here? He's saying, oh, God, oh, God, my, behold our shield. No matter. Yeah, he's, he's He's, he's proclaiming to himself, God, the temple, it's not just about being in the temple when I'm protected. You could protect me anywhere I am. That's one reason I believe David wrote this psalm when Absalom drove him out of town because he was on the run. I believe he wrote it because he was saying, no longer can I go into that place that represents the presence of God. I'm out here on the run, but I'm still going to proclaim the God of covenant. I'm still going to proclaim he's the God of everything, and I'm still going to proclaim he's the God that can protect me wherever I'm at. Oh God, our shield, look upon, so, so, so it comes into, look upon the face of your anointed. Look upon the face of your anointed. And so, so we, remember when we read the Old Testament, we always read it through a New Testament lens. What does that mean? It means that when we read the Old Testament, you got to read it through Jesus. And so David was a foreshadow Let's just say, if, if you disagree with me on the fact that he wrote this psalm, even in Psalms 24, he talks about being the anointed one. We know, and he talks about not being able to go into the presence of God. We know that Samuel came and anointed David. We understand that David was anointed by God to be king. And we understand that David was a foreshadow of Christ. If you read through the Old Testament, he was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. What is the psalmist saying right here? Oh God, now watch this. Don't miss this. This is good. This worst Saturday night right here. He's saying, oh God, look up on the face of your anointed. 
if we read that through the New Testament lens, what that means is, oh God of everything, oh God of covenant, hear my prayer, oh Lord of hosts, oh God, and would you look, oh God of protection, would you look up on the face of the anointed? Now, if I'm reading that through a New Testament lens, what am I saying? I'm saying, God, would you please not look at me and just me because I know me? Would you look at me through what Jesus Christ has done for me? Look upon your anointed. Look up on your favored one. And see, when God... I love Saturday night because I can just stop. Picture a mirror. And, and picture an apple. An apple representing sin. A mirror representing a pure reflection. Sin entered in and that mirror was busted. Therefore, our, our image before God God was marred. And no matter how long you tried to stop and pick up the pieces of that mirror and put them back together, there's still going to be cracks in that mirror. When you look at the reflection, there's going to be, there's going to be dysfunction and, and, and dissimilarities all through the, the reflection will never be the same. There will be disportion in that reflection, right? That's what sin did to us in the eyes of God. That's why Jesus, the anointed one, had to come. See, this is a anybody, anytime, anywhere prayer. Oh, God, would you please? I have screwed up. Would you please look upon the face of the anointed one? Would you please? And that's what God does. He looks at us through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. That's good news. It's called the gospel. So this, this longing, this new longing, and now we go from this idea of worship into this prayer, and this prayer being so powerful of, of God's greatness all the way to the point. Do you guys remember the series we did called Beautiful Mess? Do you remember that thing? Remember? And we talked about the little kid when your kids are little, and they're stinky, and they're slobbering. And they're, we're keeping our grandchild right now for way, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say way too long, but you can't do that. Rain is keeping him. Anyway, but he, he spits up all the time. I don't see how he's so chubby. I mean, every time he shoves milk down him, he spits it up everywhere. I don't remember my kids doing that. I told Rain that. She was like, because you never wiped their spit up. up. I'm, I most certainly did. I was a good dad. We're a beautiful mess, but we're only beautiful in the eyes of the Father because of what the Son did. And that's awesome. Number two, a new longing for his presence that exposes the emptiness of the world. Young people in this room tonight, I want you to listen to this point. Old people in this room tonight, I want you to listen to this point. Middle-aged people in this room tonight, I want you to listen to this point. A new longing for his presence that exposes the emptiness of the world. Psalms 8410, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What is the psalmist saying right here? He's saying, listen, if I could just be in your courts, your temple courts, which represents, don't forget in the Old Testament, that represented the presence of God. And, and, and so if I could just be in your presence, God, if it, one day in your true presence is better than a thousand. Is better than a thousand days doing anything else. In other words, 
God, one day would be okay with me in your presence, even if I knew after that day I was going to have no more days. If, I was, if it was my last day, God, I want to spend it in your presence. Better For a day in your courts is better than a thousand other days. Now, I would submit to you that's some radical writing, isn't it? Because we, we can, westernized Christianity can say all this, Woo, I love Jesus, I give my life, I love Jesus, he has all of me. But do we really and does our life really reflect how important it is to be in the presence of God, to long for that presence? Does our life really reflect, does our schedule really reflect how important it is to be in the presence of God on a daily basis? It's interesting, isn't it? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. NIV says a thousand days elsewhere. New King James just, and the King James just say a thousand. Now watch this. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Let's stop right there. A doorkeeper. I would rather work the door. I would rather be, and that word doorkeeper right there is the threshold of the temple. You remember Acts chapter 3 verse 2 where the beggar was laid at the gate beautiful? It's the same word, threshold. It's the, interest in, it's the entrance into the temple courts. And someone would have to stay there and say, yes, you can come in or no, you couldn't. That's why the guy who was lame never got to go in because if you were lame, you were considered something, you were sinful. And so what the psalmist is saying right here is, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I would rather be a doorkeeper than to have all this world has to offer. I would rather be a door. I would rather spend one day as a person cleaning the toilets in the presence of God than I would to spend the rest of my life with all the pleasures this world has to offer. I'm telling you, young people in this room right now, listen to me right now. This world makes it look good. They make, they, they make it look like you can't have fun without it. They make it look like there's no consequence. They make it look, I mean, and the Bible even said sin is fun for a season. But I'm telling you, when you experience God and you really experience the transforming power of God, whether that's in a church service, whether that's at a camp, whether that's on a missions trip, however that breaks down for you, when you truly, you will understand that there is nothing that this world has to offer that can fulfill you and the void inside of you like the true presence of God. It's impossible for the things of this world to fill the void that only God can fill. So, so watch, watch. So, so the presence of God, when you, I would rather be a door. Obed-Edom. I bet Anthony's the only person in this room who's ever heard of Obed-Edom. If you've read the Bible through, you've read about Obed-Edom. Well, when, when, when Israel recaptured the ark, there was some wickedly wild stuff going on with the ark of the covenant of God, which represents the presence of God, right? People touching it and dying, people getting too close and dying, people saying things. And so they didn't know what to do with the ark. So they put it at the house of a man named Obed-Edom. I'm, that's, I'm putting some Tennessee slang on that. That's the best. It's Obed-Edom. I mean, it's O-B-E-D-E-D-O-M. How else would you say it? Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. I don't know how you say it. But when you get over in Chronicles and you start reading through some of, that, some of that stuff that you think's boring when you're reading your Bible through in a year, guess whose name comes up 
as a doorkeeper in the temple of God. Obed-Edom. Guess who comes up as the maintenance man in the temple of God? Obed-Edom. Guess who comes up as the janitor in the temple of God? Obed, over and over, you see Obed-Edom's name in doing daily tasks in the temple of God. Why? Because the presence of God invaded his house and it changed him so much that he could not be separated from it. When they came to get the ark and take it back to where it belonged, he said, Jack, you can have everything else. I'm giving it all away for the presence of God. Put me to work. I'll be a doorkeeper. I'll clean toilets. I'll wash. You Whatever it takes to be near the presence of God, I will do. Because I've experienced it and it's changed my life. The presence of God is not only an equalizer to what the world offers. It's way more than that. It's so much more than that. Parents in this room right now, get your young people signed up for spiritual experiences during the summer. I mean, we teach them how to kick balls. We teach them how to hit balls. Teach them how to catch balls and all that's great and good. My my parents taught me how to do that. But listen, get them in church camp. Get them here on Tuesdays if they're first grade to sixth grade. Get them on a mission trip if they're in high school. If they're in the youth group, get them on a youth camp. It will change. And I don't know anybody. I don't want to go on Wednesday night. Sorry. (laughs) Well... You know what? There's just a bunch of hypocrites at that youth group. Well, one more ain't going to get a difference. Get in the car. I'm sorry. I thought I paid for your car and gave you a place to live and fed you and paid for your cell phone. Get your self in the car and go to church. Take advantage of every opportunity to expose your children to the presence of God. I know Sunday night service would just not work with this generation. Matter of fact, it wouldn't work with this preacher. I can't even talk on Sunday night by the time it comes around, seriously. But I miss Sunday night services growing up. I miss lingering around the altars. I miss while, you know, people would just kind of leave as they wanted and the piano playing and people just, and just remembering that presence of God, right? Just remember, and I remember leaving that sanctuary with the peace and the prayer. Now, I do remember leaving my neighborhood on the way to Sunday night church and all my friends were playing football and I was mad. Why do I have to go to church? And there's my dad's full on going to church. Like, Obed Edom. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. You keep going. Then to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. First John 2, 2, 15, I believe it is, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I got to thinking about that one too. Well, God, my family's in this world. Am I supposed to love my family? So I looked that one up. And, 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 and it, when it says, Do not love the world, It means do not love the carnality of what the world has to offer our flesh. That's what that means. Don't be in love with that. So it says in Matthew 6, I believe it's 24, no man can serve two masters. You love one and hate the other, hate one and love the other. No man can serve. And it even goes on to say later in that verse, no man can serve God and money. It's impossible. 
Now, God can be, money can be your God, but you can't serve God and money. It says it right there in the Bible. So, so in other words, the idea of the psalmist where he says, listen, I'd rather one day in the, in the presence of God, one day is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a janitor. I'd rather be a nobody. I'd rather work the backside of the parking lot, waving at people as they come in. I'd rather greet at a door. I'd rather work a nursery. I'd rather do that. Whatever. I'd rather do that than, 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 than to experience all the world has to offer. I'm telling you, all the world has to offer will bring you to a place one day where you're miserable. Completely, absolutely miserable. Because the more you try to fill that void and that hole in your life, the bigger it gets. It's insatiable. Because God, it was, it was created for only God. I got to keep going. Don't forget that name. Obed-Edom. Next thing. A new longing to live a life that acknowledges God's favor. Psalms 84:11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk up rightly. Let's just walk through this together. I, I love this. So we go from Psalms 84, 1 through 7, then we get to verse 8, and he starts this prayer, and he's talking about the God of everything, the God of covenant. He's talking about the anointed one, God pray, praying in the name of Jesus, and then he gets to 10 and talking about, I'd rather be in the courts, and then he says, then a thousand, I don't want what the world has to offer, and he says four, and remember, all this is in reference to the rest of the psalm. We're getting towards the end of the psalm. For the Lord God is a son and a shield. We already talked about the shield part of protection. But don't, wouldn't you agree with me when I say we live in a dark and dangerous world? We live in a dark and dangerous world. We do. That's just the, the bottom line. But he is light. He is the light of the world. He will give light if you will allow him. He is the sun. In other words, God, Lord God, you are the light. You will direct my path. I will no longer conform to the pattern of this, uh, this world, but I'll be transformed by the renewing of, of your, your word. And my mind is going to be transformed. And then I'm going to know your good and perfect and pleasing will. In other words, you're going to shed light on my future. You're going to shed light on the decisions that I have to make this week. Because that's the kind of God you are. So he's the God, the Lord God, our son of of direction, protection. Then we get to this word grace. And the Lord will give grace. All of this is talking about Jesus. All of this is a foreshadow of Jesus. And the Lord will give grace and glory. The scripture over in Ephesians talks about grace. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So go back to verse 11 and read that again. The Lord will give grace and glory. Grace is glory that has begun. If you teach a Bible, if you teach a life group or a life group or our Bible study class, listen to this because this is a great point of conversation and discussion. Grace is glory that has begun. Grace is God's gift and his favor that he has bestowed upon us humanity through what Jesus Christ did so that we could begin to be formed into the image of Christ, which is the glory of God. Now we know in half, one day we will know in full. Grace is glory that has begun. (laughs) There's some of you looking at me like, how much longer you got? 
that's good stuff. If you've experienced the grace of God, that's awesome because if you've experienced the grace of God, that means the glory of God, the glory, the glory of God, the grace of God. We've accepted Jesus. Therefore, we've been adopted into the family of God. We are joint heirs. The grace of God is glory that has begun. So we receive the grace of God. We receive the mercy of God. We receive the forgiveness of God through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Therefore, we are on a path to become more like Christ and one day to know the fullness of Christ, which is the glory of God. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It's interesting right here. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For those of you in this room right now who have gone through tragedy or gone through things in your life and you would say, why did he withhold that from me? Why did he not answer that prayer? I don't know. His ways are higher than our ways. It goes back to submitting to the sovereignty of God. He's God, either he's God or he isn't. Either he knows best or he don't. And so this idea of him being this God of grace and glory, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Luke says, even those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts. How much more so does our father know how to give us even the Holy Spirit? Now, I tore my garage apart this afternoon looking for my blow-up Santa Claus. I did. It's hot. My garage is hot. And I was going to do this illustration. So if any of you have any kind of thing that you plug up and it blows up, as long as it's okay for children to see, please let me know. Please let me know after this service because I want to use it as an illustration tomorrow. I wanted to use one tonight. I could not find it. I've got a Santa Claus. And no, it's a snowman. It's a camouflage snowman with a gun. And we, we moved into our house late in late August, and I put that joker right out front of our gate, and Randy goes, honey, <laughs> honey, let's don't put that right out front. We just moved in here. I said, why? It's a snowman. It's got camouflage. He's wearing Hunter Orange. It's not a real gun. She said, let's put that back by the pool. Let's put that in the backyard, okay? Until <laughs> we get to know our neighbors just a little bit. But if you, got, if you got one of those, and here's, here's the idea behind that. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk, upright, who walk uprightly. Before you know Jesus Christ, you walk in shame. You walk in shame because you're born into sin. We're born into sin because we're born into a fallen world. That's just the, that's the cards that were dealt. But when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart and accept the grace of God, it begins the glory of God, the work of God in your life, and the Holy Spirit indwells you. Now, if you will imagine this awesome snowman down on the ground, deflated, but when you plug that thing up, he up... Stands at the ready. You get what I... You understand what I'm saying? How can we walk uprightly? Only through the Holy Spirit. How, how can we do that? Because he's a God of grace. He's got a mercy. He's got a, a, it's beginning that glorious work in us. Psalms 84, new longing. 
a new longing to know a God like that? Who wouldn't want a God like that? Who wouldn't want a God that gives direction in dark days? Who wouldn't want a God that protects in dangerous days? Who wouldn't want a God that offers his own son whose name is Grace? Who wouldn't want a God who is transforming us into his glory? Who wouldn't want a God who, who with, wouldn't withhold the things that are in his plan for those who walk uprightly? And the only way we can do that is through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. If you're serving communion, you can be dismissed right now. Do it pretty quick if you could. Now watch, watch this. So... So Psalms 84, 12 verses. So we've worked through 11. And hopefully, hopefully you, you were here two weeks ago and heard the first installment of this, this psalm. So now you can say, hey, I've read a whole book of the Bible. Not a whole book, a whole chapter of the book. So we get all this amazing information downloaded to us in verses 8 through 11. And this is how the psalmist ends. This is how the psalmist ends this Psalm 84. The point is a new longing to be able to trust. Verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts. Now we're back to O Lord of hosts. He's God or isn't he? O O Lord of everything. O Lord of all. O Lord of hosts. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. My wife said this at an event we were at not long ago. She was speaking and she said, you know, in my life I have a gazillion. That's one of her favorite words. And I asked her one time how many that is and she said it's a bunch. (laughs) We have a gazillion questions for God. What if? Can I? Am I able? Do I have the resource? Down the line, we have all these questions for God. But at the end of the day, God really only has one question for us in any circumstance that we're dealing with. Parenting, marriage, finance, those those big ones are the little ones. He only has one question for us. Jason, after I ask him all my questions, a lot of them are stupid because they've already been answered in the Bible. But I ask him anyway, and he's a loving God, so he listens anyway. I ask him all my questions and give him all my reasons of why not. He's got one question for me, and it's this. Jason, do you trust me? The simplicity of the gospel to me is the most anointed I mean, you think about that for a second. Do you trust me? I I look at people, and they'll kill me for saying this, but I I look at people like Pastor Steve and Miss Jones sitting on the front row, and, and, and you guys have done it. But over and over and over again, God has asked that question, hasn't he? Will you trust me? I mean, you're, you're, ending, you're ending that part. Hopefully your life's not ending. 
but you're, you're starting to finish that race of ministry and you've done it with integrity and character, but, but you sit down and talk to them and they would tell you over time and time and time, will you trust me all the way to the point of some crazy guy in Florida calling and saying, Hey, I don't know if I can't guarantee you, we can pay you for long, but we can pay you for a little bit. You want to move to Florida? And again, and again, God saying, and they had all these questions, but the one question God always has for us is, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Can I tell you tonight that salvation is a trust issue? Salvation is a trust issue. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. One of the most well-known Bible verses, John 3.16, says this. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, say that word with me. Whoever, say those two words, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever trusts, whoever believes. See, salvation's a trust factor. I wonder, before we take communion, if there are those of us in this room that would say, Jason, I, I've never trusted God with my spiritual, eternal life. I've never trusted God with where I'm going to spend eternity. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. For whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever trusts in God, not going to be disappointed. I am more and more and more and more convinced that the, the, every day that I live and the older I get, the closer I get to meeting Jesus, that, that scripture in Corinthians, where we will stand before God one day, give an account of what we've done, good, good or bad face to face but praise God we at least get to stand before him if we put our faith in him would you bow your heads all over this place I gotta ask you that question before we have communion we have an open communion here we have an open communion we just go by biblical standards and one of those is you need to be a Christian you need to have given your heart to the Lord maybe you're here tonight you can't point to a place in time where you've said Jesus come into my heart You've given, your, you've given your heart to Jesus. You, you can't play, point to a place in time where you've let go of your life. Maybe you need a fresh start. If that's you and you're here tonight and you say, Jason, I need to be saved. I need to trust in God for my eternity. I need the assurance that I'm going to spend eternity with. I need a fresh start. My life's a wreck. I need some help. Jesus is the X factor to change. If that's you, would you slip your hand up long enough for me to see it? Put it right back down. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone in this room? Anyone in this room? Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for giving us your only son. Jesus, thank you for finishing the race. Thank you for being a way maker. God, challenge our hearts this week to have a longing, a new longing to be with you. A new longing to see revival in our own lives before it starts with anyone else. God, may it start in our own hearts. May it spread through our families and our co-workers, through our community. God, I ask that you would challenge us to be men and women of your word this week, God. So that our, our hearts can be changed. Give us a longing for your presence. In Jesus' name.